Hello and welcome back to the Rehab Inc. podcast. This is a spotlight series where we will be interviewing allied health professionals in different stages of their careers. My name is Anna and I am a PhD student studying speech language pathology at the Rehabilitation Sciences Institute at the University of Toronto. I'm also someone who stutters, so sometimes I might sound a little bit choppy. As a speech language pathologist or a SLP, we are often asked who we are and what we do. We will be spotlighting SLP in today's episode. Hopefully our listeners today can take away a few things about the important role that SLPs play in healthcare. Today, I'm joined by Omna Islam, who is a speech language pathologist and a recent graduate of the University of Toronto's Master of Health Science program in speech language pathology. Thank you so much, Uma, for taking the time to chat. Hi, Anna. Thanks for having me. Would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, my name is Umna Islam. I'm a speech-language pathologist at Lahore Children's Centre in Pakistan. In my day-to-day practice, I work with children with communication disorders. That includes those on the autism spectrum, uh, motor speech disorders, and feeding. Um, I regularly share my knowledge with different parents and do a lot of parent training and family training. Uh, but outside of my work, I'm also the project manager at peertospeak.org, uh, where I work to improve speech, language, and hearing services worldwide. All right, so let's get into it. So if you were to use five words or less, can you describe what speech language pathology or SLP is to our audience? Sure, uh, five words or less. So it's a bit tricky considering that speech language pathology is a very broad field. Um, But honestly, if I was to really break it down, the words I would be using is communication, swallowing, language development, and a very, very important one would be compassion. Awesome. Can you expand a little bit on why you chose these words? Yeah. So communication... um, really encompasses a lot of what we do and majority of what we do, uh, which is in how we are speaking, how we are forming our words, the language that we use. Swallowing is another part of it that a lot of people actually don't know, and I can dive a bit more deeper into it. For SLPs, it's a huge portion um, of our field. We work with those individuals who have had swallowing difficulties um, due to any reason, whether that's an injury or whether that's Um, from birth, uh, neurologically, um, and language development, because we really work with children um, either on the spectrum or those who are developing any form of disorders. And then the last one I said was compassion was because I think that's a trait uh, that really, really drives us to then focus on everything else that I mentioned earlier. Um, We need that compassion in order to treat our clients or our patients with whatever they come to us and really rely on us uh, to help them communicate their best. Great, thank you. I think something that uh, says a lot about the profession as a whole is how compassionate we are. Because when we consider what we do as a profession, um, it means a lot to people, different communication disorders or differences when we are willing to listen. And this is so important because people oftentimes who have communication disorders, such as people like myself, we don't get the time of day, unfortunately, to say what we want to say. So having someone who's willing to listen and is, is able to put themselves 
kind of on the other side is really helpful. I'm so happy to be a part of this profession. Can you tell us a little bit more about what exactly is speech language pathology and SLP? What kinds of things do we do? Um, if I was to really give a breakdown and a proper definition of it, um, just to help our listeners understand a bit better, um, speech language pathologists work to prevent, assess, diagnose, treat, um, speech, language, communication, cognitive communication, swallowing disorders throughout the lifespan. So we're talking pediatrics um, at birth, all the way to adults, geriatrics as well. So it's a really, really, like I said in the beginning, really broad field that targets um, a lot of different populations with a lot of different needs in and around communication and swallowing. So um, we help those who maybe have, somebody who might be stuttering, um, we help those who maybe have a voice issue, um, we help those who maybe are having difficulty with hearing and that affects their speech. Um, we help those who maybe have difficulty with uh, composing their uh, language and their sentence structure together and are not able to verbalize. So we have different means for them uh, to communicate um, using what we call an AAC device, which is an alternative and augmentative uh, device communication system for them to communicate their needs non-verbally. So it's not just about, you know, being able to talk and use your words, but there's so many different ways for us to communicate that we don't realize. And we, our profession is there right on the front lines to help those children, adults, teens, the elderly be able to voice themselves out loud. Speech language pathologies definitely work across the lifespan from as young as um, one years old or even newborn infants to those who are 90s or 100 and some years old. Given how broad of a field SLPs and what we do in our scope of practice, how did you decide that you wanted to go into SLP? Yeah, great question. And honestly, it's nothing that's super like I've always wanted to do it since I was a kid. I was a very studious uh, student in high school. So once I got into university, I went to McMaster University in Hamilton. Um, when I started, I really just, you know, took a backseat. I was like, you know what, now I'm going to relax. I worked hard. I got in. Um, so the couple first couple of years of my bachelor's were really trying to figure myself out, not doing too much, just focusing on the subjects I had, um, but not really thinking about the future. But in my last two years, when it really hit home, when I was like, okay, this is, what am I going to do after? Um, I will be graduating in a year and a half. So I really um, scrambled and I started just volunteering. Um, I volunteered across the board from hospitals to clinics, um, to daycares, different centers. Um, and I actually um, ended up landing a volunteer position at a clinic over in Oakville. And it was the most wonderful um, volunteer experience of my time. And I really, really enjoyed it. It was a multidisciplinary clinic that, that housed occupational therapy, speech language, behavior, um, and several others. And that is when I truly found um, speech uh, language pathology and you know when you dive into something and you know it's meant to be you really really enjoy it and once you sort of make your mind to it I ended up meeting 
people around me who who are also doing the same thing knew about it and i was like wow was i the only one who didn't know this really existed um and in that really short amount of time because i loved it so much i just took a leap of faith and um i started focusing on that made it my goal and before i knew it i was at university of toronto um starting my master's Awesome. I think from all the people I've spoken to, more or less stumble into the field of SLP. It's a little bit of like love of love at first sight ish. Um, for me personally, it's a little bit similar and different at the same time. I had to speech therapy as a teenager at the time, um, and I think as I kind of learned more about what the profession did and and. As I made a call to give back to the community, I kind of learned more about how broad of a field SLP was. And I also fell in love with all aspects of it. And even now to this day, I'm still very passionate about speech language pathology in very different ways. So I think that's very heartwarming to hear <laughs> each person's kind of story. Yeah. But I find that, you know, it's, um the field is amazing but it's also those who are in the field so when i started volunteering i think every speech language pathologist i met the clinician um they themselves were so warming and welcoming and willing to teach and that compassion aspect i spoke about earlier was very present and evident um in almost all of them and i think that also gravitated me towards this field even more Yes, I think I've met so many kind speech pathologists in my short-ish but long-ish experience since I was a teenager. I still remember one of the SLPs that I saw back then as a teenager, he was retiring um, and, and he didn't realize that, that, that I was graduating from high school. So he had offered to provide me with free services for a couple months. And I think that just speaks to how compassionate, again, people are in the field. Just kind of what's a common misconception that people might have about SLPs? Yeah, um, there's a lot. There's a lot. And I think it really just has to do with um, the lack of knowledge that I think everybody has around this field. Um, so one of them is that I hear it a lot when I say I'm a speech language pathologist. So they, in return, say, oh, so you just treat people who have a lisp. So that's just what their mindset is. Mindset is that, you know, we're just working on the lisp and there's, that's it. We don't have much work to do. We don't have much meaning in our profession and our work. Or even another one that I get, and I actually got that a lot when I moved here to Pakistan, was that, oh, you're an English teacher. So that one um, was also a huge one because it's, um, I think teaching is a great field, but uh, as much as we teach, yes, language and communication, we are not English teachers. Um, so, yes, definitely. I think I've heard both of those in some way or another. I think something that I've tried to do is leverage off of people's um concept of SLP and say, yes, and also we do, you know, all these other things related to, you know, stroke and like swallowing and all these other things that people don't necessarily realize that speech language pathologists work with swallowing. Um, and that's 
actually a really huge part of our profession, especially when you're working with adults. Can you kind of tell me one thing you'd like to change about the SLP profession, given there's like so much? Yeah. So from what I think would sort of answer all of that would be, I'd love to just change, I think, our public image. And I think I'd love to just raise more awareness about what we do. So things like podcasts like these are just wonderful um, because we're able to get out there and talk about our SLP profession, which has a lot to offer. And Mm -hmm. if I could just erase that stigma and that negativity and that um, image that some people have built, um, unfortunately, about that, you know, we only do this or we only do that. Um, And we're not very helpful or, you know, there's not much difference. We could probably just do it at home. That's another really big one that we get. Um, so that would really be something mm-hmm. I wish I could change. And I and I know that's something that will happen with time, just more awareness. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's great that you, you, you are so active in kind of promoting the profession. And it's so great that the Rehab Inc. podcast is able to kind of promote rehabilitation sciences or or simply allied health professions as a whole because i think most people don't realize that such professions exist until they themselves or someone close to them needs the service speaking about people needing this service it can kind of definitely range between you know really young children teenagers to adults to older adults um, and that's something that is commonly asked in our program I know whether someone is interested in working with children or adults so aside from kind of like obvious differences in age what's the type of preference that you had prior to entering the program and has that kind of changed since you kind of started working um yeah I think so so I'd always seen myself as somebody who'd work with uh, the adult population, and I really enjoyed that in my clinical placements too. Not to say I didn't enjoy um, the younger ones as well. I did, but I just sort of felt like that would be the more perfect fit for me. But ironically and interestingly, since I've graduated, I have been consistently working in the um, pediatrics the most. And truly, I think that was a great thing that happened because I love it. Um, I think it is um, something that suits my skills a lot better than I think would in the adults. Not to say that it's not something I wouldn't like to uh, walk into a little later down the road, but for now, I'm quite content uh, with the fact that I've um, stuck with pediatrics. Right. So you kind of foster a love for children. Can you tell us a little bit about what's different about practicing working with children compared to adults and have you found certain skills are transferable between the two definitely skills are definitely transferable um i think um overall when we're talking about what we're doing we're really just helping with that communication aspect or that swallowing aspect so the skills really stay the maintain the same but i think what changes between the two Um, are definitely obviously our strategies, our goals, um, and just sort of taking that client or patient and working with those client-centered goals, right? We always focus on that patient and we make those goals and strategies according to them. So I think that's what really differs. 
Because when you think about it, um, when you have an adult client, uh, they are most likely coming in, uh, perhaps they had a brain injury, perhaps they had a stroke. So maybe they're coming in with something with aphasia, which is the difficulty to communicate um, after you've had an injury to your brain. Um, or they might be coming in for swallowing. But regardless of which one it is, you are essentially helping that adult relearn something they had previously. But when you have a child who's coming in, perhaps they're a child for maybe two or two and a half, um, and they're a late talker, then you're helping them learn a new skill on how they're going to use their words. So that aspect is very different. And um, I've worked in both in the past. So I find that adults, um, they can be a bit more motivated naturally. Um, so that's the nice part of it. Um, for the children, it's really the opposite. They have no idea what they're doing and why they're there. <laughs> but I think that's also the really fun part of it because that's when you get to use your own creativity. That's when you get to play and have fun. Um, and you actually get to show them how powerful their words are. And I think that is a wonderful aspect that I have grown to just love. Um, and also I find um, there's such a big difference when it comes to families um, and their loved ones. Um, when you have a child and you have their mom or dad bring them in, there is just such a big difference. You have parents just jumping in, wanting to learn um, and doing those skills and practicing at home. Um, and of course, when it comes to the elderly, there is so much love and compassion there too, but there's just such a big difference because it's typically their child who brings them in. Um, maybe they're like a grandma to some grandchildren. Um, and so that aspect, it's really just that patient or client trying to um, practice themselves and you're working alongside just to help them with what they're functionally able to do um, in their realm. So that aspect is is very, very different, but but those skills do definitely remain the same and they're definitely transferable between the two. And that's just me talking in the language aspect of it. Like if I talk about the swallowing aspect of it, now that's a complete different um, part of our field. Uh, swallowing obviously is very physiological, so that doesn't very much change although children do have a different physiological structure. Um, and as you grow older, it does change in your swallowing, but we're looking at pretty much the same thing around it all. Of course, our approach will be different because it's a child um, and compared to that as an adult, an adult can talk and tell us a lot more, um, whereas the child would not be able to. So we have to work around that. There's definitely a lot of commonalities in terms of kind of skills that you use and how you approach from like a general kind of approach to assessment and treatment and all of that kind of mm -hmm. thing. And I think something that's very interesting is these days I work a lot of with adults and specifically people that have neurodegenerative diseases. So people that have, that have amyotrophic lateral sclerosis or KLS, people with Parkinson's disease, that's a very different overall climate as well. And it makes you kind of think about each person come to us with a very different life story. And you really appreciate that as you kind of work with someone and learn their backgrounds and like who's in their families, all of that stuff. And that really does translate to children as well and their parents, their grandparents who might be involved. So do you see yourself continuing to work with children in the future or will you perhaps be looking into working with older adults? 
something about me is that I am a perfectionist. So knowing that, I feel like I see myself staying in um, with children um, until I feel like I've really gotten a good handle on um, the pediatric population in terms of their speech and language. And once that is done, then I always have this itch to learn more and to do more. Um, I can definitely see myself further down the line um, than kind of walking into that adult um, area and then trying to learn more from that. And I really, really would love to continue with the children, but I think it would be really, really nice to also have that adult aspect of it. So you can have like a bit of both. And I think um, just recently what really made me so happy and confirmed that like I do really love children, it was um, just re recently we had a little late talker come in, um, a little toddler um, who wasn't speaking and she was about um, just hitting two years. And uh, mom came in the other day and was so ecstatic because she had finally said mama appropriately to her mother and happiness, that excitement, that gratitude that mother brought in was just so um, heartwarming for me. And when that happened, I was like, this is definitely the right field and the right um, population that I think I'm in for sure. So I definitely want to continue with um, the child um, population, but I've never seen no to um, the geriatric. Nice. I think that also comes back to that concept of how broad speech language pathology is as a field. And it's so easy to kind of who your interest in kind of each side or each piece of the field because there's always something else to kind of learn about and continuing education is such a big part of what we do and there's always so much research that's coming out and just kind of on that thought of research um, back in the program oftentimes professors would encourage us to kind of consult research each time we came across a new case or a, a new problem have you found yourself kind of looking up research during those situations? Yes, definitely. Um, I do definitely still look at research. And a lot of the time when I have a new case and I'm just lost about how I should approach this or what, um, what strategy I should be using and what approach I should be using, um, then I definitely go look at the research. But for me, with the research, what I find is that just helps me get in the right direction. So, you know, if I want to let's say I'm thinking about like recently I was looking at a child with a proxy of speech and I wanted to look into dynamic temporal tactile cueing was um, one of the ways that I had heard works really, really well. And I wanted to just look at the efficacy of it. So I went into research, looked it up, saw that it was effective. And then after that, I like to actually go and then see um, actual clinicians in the field using that to learn that approach a bit better. So for me, it's more so dive in, look at what's working, see if it's effective, um, in what population it's effective, and then just use that information then to go ahead and do my own little dive in into actual clinicians, practical, attempting to use it to learn more. I think professors would be very excited to hear that, considering how much classes we've taken on research to practice, it's exciting to hear that clinicians are referencing looking to research to see if it's helpful to answer potential clinical questions that you might have about 
um, treatment efficacy, and it also points towards how resourceful speech pathologists are in terms of trying to find kind of solutions or trying to be creative as to how to best support their patients or their clients that they're working with. Thinking about research a little bit further, have you noticed any t type of gaps possibly in research and there be any things that you wish that researchers might do um, to support the clinicians on the front lines? So research is great for the numbers. It's great for proving its effectiveness in the very specific populations. Mm -hmm. But um, what I find, and I think it just has to do with the fact that we are fairly new, so there's just a lack of research yes. still. And we, you know, on a daily basis get clients, um, new cases coming in and very complex cases coming in with very multi, uh, multi-factorial um, problems and these children are having that you can't always find in research. So I think that is more of a concern, number one. And I think number two, that would be good to kind of um, work on further would be that uh, having a researcher that's also a clinician, I think makes a huge, huge difference um, for that practicality part of it. Uh, because if I go through, let's say 10 research articles, I might find one or two, maximum two, that are fitting my population and the thing that I was looking for specifically. And the others I find are not something I can be practical with in the daily life. Because when we are with our specifically, if I'm speaking about the pediatrics, um, we're not using such big machines to test their um, length of utterance and um, all that stuff. It's all just right on the spot. What do you hear? What do you see? Um, what are we going to do with this next, right? So that part of it, I feel like the functional piece of it is a little bit that's also lacking. But other than that, I do think that research is has been wonderful in my learning, especially being so far and being in Pakistan. Um, I really like that I can, you know, hop on and get uh, that learning going even through that research. I think that's awesome how passionate you are about the field as a whole. And that kind of shows from how you kind of talk about the profession and to talk about the needs, right? Because that's something that as, as someone that's pretty involved with research right now, it makes so much sense to kind of have talks with clinicians on the front line and knowing what their needs are can help you to direct what we do. And I think my clinical background has definitely helped me kind of get that insider understanding. Talks like this also help to move research and clinicians. So we kind of talked a lot about different things in different ways. Based on your experiences so far, what are you like most passionate about in your work? My passion is really driven through the families. Um, it's not always just about that client or that child or that adult coming in. I think it's really taken as a whole. Um, I love having, you know, that first assessment. You have mom and dad walk in with their child and they're so worried um, and concerned about the development of their language and where they've come. Um, and, you know, in just a couple months, those faces then turn right back into those smiles um, and happiness and contentment that they finally found something that works. 
Um, and I love the relationship that we can build with that. A lot of the time, especially since I work more in the private sector, we build those relationships with those families for months on end and sometimes years on end. So you really get to see that person grow and make those gains um, that you had first initially said. Um, and I think that's what drives my passion every day at work um, to see that uh, happiness and um, that contentness in our um, field. I like that phrase that you use, seeing the light and the smiles on their faces, essentially. I think the passion that you bring with working towards collaborating with both your patients, your clients, the families, the caregivers, and all of that effort that it really shows how much care speech pathology is placed to building that relationship and that trust with the people we work with. And it really, and it makes treatment or just the overall process such, so much more manageable and more fruitful. Um, and I think that's something I really love about the people in the field. Thinking about the new clinicians that are about to graduate, or even people who are looking into pursuing a career in speech language pathology. Is there a specific type of advice you would give to them? I would say my best advice would be be dedicated to this profession because it does require a lot of dedication and hard work. I would also say really focus on those strong relationships that you're going to build. And if you feel like this this profession isn't for me. If you ever have that thought in your head creep up, know that it you will fall down multiple times until you really get back up. And the first year of those, once you've graduated, especially those that are just leaving the program, once you've graduated, it's going to be a little, a little bit of a rocky ride, but it's only going to be uphill after that. Know that there's something for everyone in this field. And I think if there's one thing you can take away from this podcast that me and Anna talked about a lot was that SLB is such a broad field and it has so much to offer to everyone, clinicians, as well as our clients and patients. So there's something for everyone, definitely. Definitely. I think speech language pathology as a whole is definitely a growing profession. And you can really see that in terms of the people that you meet, whether it's the students that you meet, the clinicians that you meet, the researchers involved, the patients, the clients, whoever it is, there's definitely people that are just looking to grow. And it's a world of possibility and opportunities. And as long as you're willing to look into that and keep that curiosity in you, I think you'll be just fine. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. And please subscribe, like, and follow us on our social media. You can find the Rehab Inc. podcast on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, or on rehabincmag.com slash podcast website. That's R-E-H-A-B. I-N-K-M-A-G dot com slash podcast. Tune in next time. And thank you so much Una, for being our guest speaker at the SLP Spotlight. Thank you for having me.